Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hey guys, welcome to episode four of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We are so excited because we had a few of you slide into the DMs <laughs> with some questions, which is really cool. So today's episode is a Q&A and we're going to be doing this a lot intermittently between our planned episodes. Mm. So keep the questions coming. We love this yeah. and yep. that's why we do it, to help you guys out. Yeah, and I guess one of our main motives for starting this podcast was to be able to get back to a lot of these questions, a lot of these common conspiracies that we do get in our inbox and be able to elaborate on, on I guess, some of the answers for you guys because both Danny and myself do get quite a few inboxes and they all tend to have the same, I guess, themes. Mm. Um, there's a lot of common questions that tend to come through and among Amongst our own niches, so mine sort of being shift work and nursing, Danny's being an, an exercise specialist, really. So we, we've, like, collaborating together, we've come up with a list of questions that generally do come through. So we're going to run through those today. So batting off at the start, one that I think would be really good to talk about coming out of our contest preparation, this question being, how do you handle your weight going up when building muscle? Mm, and it's a... It's all part of the ride because to be a competitive athlete for the long term, we need to build muscle, which means eating more food, maybe doing less workout, keep the intensity there, but maybe drop the cardio a bit. With building muscle comes body fat and it's just part of it. Now, this isn't an excuse to put on 20 kilos or whatever. It's still important to hold on to the reins a little bit to keep your processes, mm. but lean gain, so to speak. But yeah, with fat and muscle, uh, that's how you get the gains. So yeah, exactly. And there's been a few girls make quite a few Instagram posts lately, which I absolutely love and I can resonate with. One being Emily King and Demi as mm. well, posted about loving the phase that you're in. And I yep. really love that because when we're dieting for fat loss, it's important to be 100% committed and invested in that. That is your primary goal and that's what you're focusing on. When you're in a surplus and you're trying to enhance your performance in the gym or grow muscle mass, the same applies. You need to be 100% focused and committed to that phase. Yep. And then, you know, where you should sit 80 to 90% of the year is maintenance. And you need to accept and appreciate that phase as well in giving your body the opportunity to grow and recover and just live a normal balanced lifestyle. That's right. So for me personally, you naturally, I do get addicted to the shredded life, you yeah. know, because yep. you... But I always need to remember, Danny, I had like you had no energy. You were mm. so tired. Yes, you had rock hard abs and a six pack, but all other areas of life were compromised. I chose to be in bed 9 p.m. I was very tired it's and all of that. It's bedtime though. That's, well, yeah, there you go. Oh. <laughs> Man, now I hit 9.30. I'm a yeah. party animal. But um, having goals was the most important thing for me. Strength goals, performance goals, and goals outside you yeah. know socialize make new friends meet new people mm. life goals mm. so that was probably my number one yeah and i think obviously yeah having some goals some objective goals to work towards are really important but as well being in the right i guess headspace mm. and that just being accepting that it's part of it i will never sit really lean naturally mm. that is just not my genetics some people do that there are there are fitness icons who do maintain a really lean body fat percentage and that is their normal mm. and 
it would be naive to compare yourself to them, even though we've all done it. But that is their normal and it's 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 not common yeah. to say that. And it could be they're healthy as well. Like people say, oh, they're unhealthy. But, you know, they probably get a period every month. Mm. They probably can reproduce on that body fat percentage. Mm. I wouldn't be able to. And that's just individualized. So I think accepting your body for what it is and where you need to sit in maintenance while building, whatever that looks like, Mm. and then setting some goals as well. If you are a competitor, obviously easing into it with a reverse diet is really important and sort of staying, you know, around that... 10% 10% up on your stage weight or something, just whatever's healthy for you. But yeah, definitely acceptance and goal setting. Yeah, I think it's important to also, if you've had mentors, don't let go of them just because, oh, I'm in a building phase now or this and that. Because, the work's done. Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep your coaches if you've got one or your processes and, and don't let go of that because... Mm. It is easy to sort of go off the rails a little bit and start to use excuses. Well, oh, I'm building muscle. I'll just eat this extra 10 ice creams. Well, yeah. no, yeah. it's not an excuse. No. Um, stick to your processes. Yeah. Yeah. And something else with this question as well is even though the question is how do you handle your weight going up when building muscle, what if we rephrase that to how do you handle your weight going up when rebuilding your metabolism? Because mm. it's essentially the same thing and it's also really important to consider is Yes, when you are eating more calories, when you are building your metabolism, your weight may go up. Mm. Your weight should probably go up. Mm. Your weight, especially after a competition, should go up. That is normal. That is that, And that is completely fine. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good one. All right. So the next question is, when you first started training glutes with hip thrusts, when did you start seeing results? The good old glute questions. Mm. Now, this has been drawn to people's attention probably most over the past 12 to 18 months. Personally, when I actually learned how to activate them properly. So I was doing hip thrust for a long time before it was bloody doing anything because I was using my lower back, I was using my hamstrings and quads and pretty much everything except for glute and core. So once I realized what it felt like and how to actually activate them, so then it started coming with results so to build glutes not only do you need to be activating the right muscles but you also need to be eating in a calorie surplus so in that building phase because your glutes aren't going to grow if you're dieting yeah yeah so true and you know depending on your body type i'm definitely one of those i have to forego any bit of abs to grow my glutes it's part of it because it's the largest muscle in your body it's a difficult muscle to grow. Mm. And like Danny said, it's about activating that muscle and using it appropriately. So for me, this question, when this one came through, it made me think because I do preach a lot about the hip thrust, I gained a lot of benefit from the hip thrust initially because I'd been squatting and deadlifting for so long and probably not activating my glutes to their full potential or really even knowing what that contraction really felt like Mm. when I did start doing the hip thrust I had a huge amount of crossover into um, my performance in my squat and deadlift because I now knew what it felt like to really contract my glutes under tension and then yeah like I said that crossed over into my compound lifts so I did go through quite a bit of a growth phase whilst in a calorie surplus might Mm. I add hip thrusting three times a week and sort of backing off on my heavier squats and deadlifts, rehabbing from sort of a back injury. So that surprised me, but it was really, yeah, about learning what contraction felt like under load. Yeah, nice. And I went through a phase of 
you know, seeing everyone on Instagram dead, like uh, hip thrusting over 100 kilos, 150, whatever. I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to just do two yeah. reps as heavy as I bloody can. And that wasn't serving me at oh, all. Oh, so. stupid. You know, everyone <laughs> did that. And I think it was there was like this cool thing going around about hitting the 1K. Or, oh, yeah. Or, oh, sorry, 100, not 1,000. Yeah. 100 kilos on the hip thrust, wasn't it? Everyone yeah. was trying to crack it. Yeah. And I was. I was oh, like, yeah. I want to get the three digits I too. I wanted to use the emoji, the red one. Oh, I need to use that damn emoji. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's now, now like I do still have some heavier hip thrust in my programming, but now I don't get much benefit from sort of anything under five from a hip thrust. I don't feel nah. like... It was really good at the start. And I think then once you sort of get strong enough in the hip thrust, then it's time to really put those that strength into those main compound lifts. Because oh, yeah. let's let's be honest, like the hip thrust isn't like a compound exercise that people sort of throw it out to be. It should complement your squats mm. and your deadlifts and everything. Yeah. When I went from my first couple of shows to them really taking time off before WBFF, I went from doing like 140 on the hip thrust to literally 40 kilos with a band for higher reps just to teach me how to do it properly. Mm. Then I built back on. So I had to strip it right back, throw my ego out the window. I didn't care anymore about how much I was lifting. Just execute it properly over and over and over again and add small amounts of load to that. That changed my life. Yeah, (laughs) it changed my (laughs) life. Changed my life. (laughs) I don't know why I said that, but it did. No, but (laughs) when I first started hip thrusting, I was 40 kilos. Like, and that was heavy. Yeah. And I was like, but, you know, it just goes up so quickly. Once you do start Mm -hmm. to use your glutes properly, because it is the strongest muscle in your body, you can really learn how to generate force. But... It's still very common to, I guess, hip thrust with your lower back and use those other muscles, poor setup, poor mechanics in the gym. And it can be easy to sort of get trapped in using it like a compound and just trying to hit numbers. And it's really not about that. So in terms of when did I start seeing results, it was when I started doing the exercise properly. Yep. Yeah. And that's with every exercise, eh? Exactly. Like Mm. it should be hard. It should be challenging. But if you're feeling it in the wrong muscles, I'm a big believer in my muscle connection and where you feel it. That's where the bands are useful, a useful tool to start with to help you feel that contraction in your glutes. But yeah, like once you start doing it properly then that's when the results happen. Yeah, that's it. And eat in a surplus. And eat that's how surplus. we grow muscle. That is right. Awesome. So moving on to the next question. Should we reduce calories or food intake when working night duty due to lack of energy expenditure? So I chose this question because I didn't want to just talk about night duty, but I wanted to talk about rest days or perhaps when your calories out may decrease. And what do you mean by calories out for those not... So let's say for your rest days, let's use this as an example. So you train four or five days a week and then on Sunday you don't work out. Should you reduce your calories? Because theoretically you're burning less throughout the day. Mm. What do you do personally? Personally, I do do that. But then I went through a phase of having higher calories on rest day just so the body could really utilize those for recovery. Mm. But now... On my rest day, I do have it a little bit lower. Mm, mm. Yeah, Yeah. so it is personal preference. But Mm. I think the main point for this is that it doesn't matter what you're doing in the one day. Calories in and calories out average over the span of weeks and months. and, and, And that's how we achieve fat loss or building muscle. That's Mm. what puts us in a calorie deficit or a calorie surplus. 
Specifically when it comes to night duty, I don't personally reduce my calories at all. I still hit the same amount of calories, macros throughout the course of a 24-hour period rather than a 12-hour period. So just say I normally eat from 7 to 7, 7 a.m. being to 7 p.m. Now I'm just sort of eating from over the course of the 24 hours from when I am working night duty. Yeah. So it actually makes it harder. So I don't know how people do reduce their intake on night duty because you're still very physically active. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. You're a good (laughs) example. Bloody hell. But yeah, I guess the key point is no, keep it simple. I would say that cycling calories and cycling macros is more of an advanced technique if you are starting out new to calorie counting or macro counting just consistently hitting the same numbers for seven days in a row is a big achievement yeah 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 so keep it simple don't put too much pressure on yourself yeah and if you know that as we spoke about in the third episode um that you've got an event then save you can save some calories this is even assuming that we are tracking a lot Mm. of people don't and that's fine but if you have a big event the day before just maybe have a little bit less like it doesn't mean starve yourself the next day but if you're actually not hungry because you've had a massive beautiful family dinner or lunch or whatever just have a bit less the next day yeah and it's a great point because it also just comes down to listen to your body Mm. like on night duty if you know if i'm working on a busy ward which can just change I can have a busy shift or a quiet shift that impacts my energy intake but it doesn't mean that I'm going to be like well I've been on my feet all day you know it just doesn't change just keep it simple yeah I listen to my body though like if I am exhausted and it's 3 a.m and I'm starving well I'm gonna eat you know there's been times where it has been 3 a.m and I've chosen to have you know a spoonful of honey instead of another coffee because I know in the long run I need to sleep tonight or in the morning. So just listen to your body the same as if you're, you know, you're on a rest day and you're not hungry. Well, you're Mm. not hungry. Mm. Yeah, just listen to your body. Beautiful. And we will, I'd love for you to expand on night duty and all of that in another podcast episode, which we definitely will, because this is a huge topic yeah, for it is. shift work in general. So. It is. And I do get lots of questions. So mm. I will put up like a Q&A specifically for night duty and make sure that I can cover all the main points, but that'll come up later on. Perfect. On to the next one. Do you find activity or fitness trackers worth having? So what are the main ones would you... Well, I only bought my first one for this comp prep because I had... Yeah, I know. I know you love all this. So I'll just put my little three seconds worth in and then you can elaborate. Because I bought an Apple Watch. It doesn't have to be a fancy one, but I just bought one to track my calories burnt. Just I love how that. Danny just looked down at her wrist and she's not wearing yeah, it. Yeah, why did I even... Um, <laughs> that was weird. Like It's not on there and that's fine. Because it was in comp prep and I was using the machines just to gauge how many calories Yeah, burnt. I remember I said to you. But yeah. then it wasn't... It's not accurate. Yeah. Like... Yeah, so I'm only really anal when I'm in a comp prep. Mm. So I bought it for that. I still use it now-ish, but no. Yeah. <laughs> so that's me. All right. No, because with I would probably tend to agree. So oh. I've had a bit of a 360. Like I've always worn a Fitbit, but I more use it for the time to be on. <laughs> it's a freaking expensive clock. A Fitbit. No, they're quite cheap. Oh, yeah. Little Fitbit. Compared well, to Apple Watch. Yeah. yeah, no, that's an expensive um, step counter. <laughs> but with the Fitbit, because I work, I put it on my lanyard and that's Oh, fine. that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like I do, I do like tracking data because I sort of believe 
believe if it's not measured, it's not managed. Mm, so with my cool. steps, I sort of realized like, you know, there was days when I kid you not, I could have done 25,000 day steps, days <laughs> in my eight hours on mm. the ward. And I was just famished and wondering why I was so hungry. Yeah. And it was just because of the huge amount of steps that I didn't actually realize I was doing. Okay. So that's why I got it because, you know, just to get more perspective on what I was doing when those things really do matter deep into a comp prep and to sort of establish what my normal steps should and could be, yeah. I guess, like how low I could get them and how I could use that as a tool mm. and progressively increase them. But outside of that, I don't find much value in tracking my steps. I know no. that my maintenance steps is about 12,000. That's what I normally do. And tracking tracking when I'm not in a comp prep, I don't find very valuable because no. there's a lot of new research out as well that sort of says that increasing your NEAT being your um, non-exercise activity thermogenesis so your steps how quick you're moving you're blinking your attention span actually doesn't have much impact on fat loss yeah no because it always averages out and it comes down to survival the body knows how to average out our metabolism and all of that so if, if it's you're just not another a, thing that you're just tracking and that's why I was like why am I worrying about this extra exactly. number it's all it can get stressful because then you can fall into that trap yeah. of looking at your again I'm looking at my watch if that's not on there but looking and going oh well I've burnt 500 calories I can eat this burger yeah. or I'll eat this extra I don't I just don't just think it's worth it. yeah yeah and at the end of the day you can't outsmart physiology let's be honest like yep. if you're forcing you know you see people do crazy things on Instagram like walking around their bloody apartment to try and get an extra hundred steps and I just think that is not normal Mm. like we shouldn't be encouraging that sort of behavior it's good like I said if it's not measured it's not managed so just say you are an office worker and you've got a goal to hit 10,000 steps like that's totally fine if you need something to actually track that you know but when I guess you're someone who's a bit more experienced and you are going to the gym and you're putting in the extra the extra effort with your nutrition and you're doing all those one percenters yeah. in your maintenance season and when you're just living your life, I do think that tracking steps is just adding a burden. Yeah, yep, 100%. Cool. Yeah. And so not necessary. No, and there's something nice about just going for a walk outside with no technology and, and not, you know, doing it out of chore. Yeah. Doing it for the mind, you know, doing it as a form of meditation. Yep. I really like that. Like my morning walks, well, it's not for steps. It's yep. just to get some vitamin D and clear my mind. 100%. Mm. Beautiful. So moving on to the next question, what type of carbs do you eat post-workout? And whey or casein? Casein. Cool. So for me, um, I, oh, I'm such a simple eater, but it serves me because I don't want to spend 10 hours trying to create recipes and all that. So post-workout, I have rice just because it's easy and it's a quick... So the general rule, I suppose, get something that's quickly going to be absorbed. Bread, oats, rice, honey, not fruit. Yeah, fructose is, yeah. is apparently a no-go. I did... Here, yeah, I was reading that. Yeah. A lot of girls, or berries or with berries. the antioxidants. Yeah, mm. I did have your fruit before the workout. Sorry to interrupt. No, um, no, no, that's good. Yeah, because that fills up your stores um, in the liver if you have your fruit beforehand, and then afterwards you have your other carb sources. Yeah, so I guess what most people would think about when they talk when when they're referring to carbohydrate sources re- sources um, would be sort of your low GI and high GI would be probably the easiest way to sort of 
categorize it. So that being the glycemic index of food, how quickly we absorb the sugar that's in those food products and put it into our bloodstream and utilize it. Mm. Um, So when we're talking about high GI food, it does refer to things like simple sugars being, I guess, your fruit basmati rice because it doesn't have the bran on the outside so we absorb it really quickly breads and all those refined carbohydrates they're all high gi and then your low gi are things like your brown rice and all those things that like whole grains and everything that takes the digestive system a bit longer to break down and metabolize yeah so that's why having in your high gi foods are absorbed quickly meaning that they can replenish the muscles promptly yeah because that's what exercise does it depletes all stores in the muscles and then we want to deplete 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 while we're working out then bang hit it with the good stuff at the end Mm. so it can be absorbed and go straight to the areas that we depleted yeah and that crosses over into the protein because whey protein is drawn with your carbs into the muscles a lot quicker Mm. than casein Mm. so you want to have whey protein after the workout and then casein is nice before bed Mm. to fill you up a bit and it's a slow release yeah and if you get casein casein sorry i keep saying casein (laughs) casein and whey and put them in two cups and put a bit of water in it and mix it and look at it the whey stays like really runny and thin consistency and that's sort of how we absorbed it whereas the other one turns into like a custard jelly like Mm. consistency and that's how it's absorbed it's it stays around in your digestive tract for a bit longer and it's slowly absorbed throughout the body yeah Mm. personally i'll always have a whey protein post-workout for that reason i don't really use a casein to be honest Mm. do you oh now that muscle nation's brought out their bloody casein custard i can't stop but like i said i only (laughs) i only eat it because of it tastes good yeah (laughs) it tastes freaking good most of the research supports whey yeah definitely um in a comp prep i actually don't have either because I eat foods that fill my stomach and I don't really want to be building any more muscle when I'm losing weight anyway. So I fill up on meat instead of whey protein personally, just because it keeps me hungrier. Yeah. I mean, fuller. Hungrier. Yeah, we don't want that. (laughs) Um, In regards to post-workout for me personally, I always have a balanced meal. So I found that just having carbs and protein, I was starving like half an hour later. So I always have a balanced whole meal protein carbs and fats so whether that is just say like chicken and rice and avocado or something like that whatever it may be I just try and have a balanced meal because I it keeps me fuller for longer beautiful all right on to the next one what do you think about all the popular eight week challenges on Instagram <laughs> the voice was necessary for yeah <laughs> so eight week challenges they're, they're an interesting one because Look, there's some really great challenges out there and there's some really great influencers out there and coaches that run these sorts of challenges and there's some absolute rubbish ones as well. Yeah. So it just depends on what one you are, I guess, going for, what your goals are and, you know, you get what you pay for, guys. Yeah, man, (laughs) like the amount of times that you'd hear, oh, $100 for eight or 12 weeks, it's Yeah, it sounds like a bargain, but yeah. You got to ask yourself and really do your research before you do this because marketing is it just tricks everyone and and we all want the results right now so that's why these challenges are very appealing but you need to make sure if you embark on one of these challenges that it's going to educate you 
to be able to not have to do them over and over and over again mm. and rely on them. Like, will this eight-week challenge teach me how to be resourceful, teach me skills to do it so I don't rely on this challenge? Yeah, and I always, it sort of always pulls on something inside of me when <laughs> I see people say, such and such has been with me for eight challenges. And I'm like, why? Why have they been yeah. with you for eight? Why have they had to come back eight times? Mm. Like, why don't they get the result for the first challenge, learn and sustain it? Yeah, because nothing can happen in eight weeks, really. And I just would love people to stop beating themselves up that they don't reach their ideal body in eight weeks because bloody hell, we've been doing this for years and years Mm -hmm. and there's always going to be something to work on and refine. Mm. So please just stop thinking that if I do one eight-week challenge, I'm going to have the body of my dreams and unicorns are going to come out of the sky and I'm just going to be happy forever. Yeah. yeah. And you're also going to remember as well that a lot of these influencers, they only promote the top results. They're only going to show you, like if you think about it, someone sells one of these eight-week challenges, right? They get like 300 plus people do it and they they promote the 1% that, gets epic results and that's generally because a they already had the underlying muscle mass there and it was really just eight weeks of fat loss mm. and two they've had so many people do it that there's surely going to be a few <laughs> amongst it that have just stuck yeah. to it yeah. you know I, I i would love to see some of the results that don't happen you know and mm. some education about why like some case studies as to why perhaps this happened because a key driver in succeeding is support yeah and like that's why I guess a lot of them have communities and Facebook groups and stuff like that and it's amazing if that's all you need Mm. to achieve your results then go for it if that's what you love doing then go for it but just have your expectations in check yeah so ask yourself will it educate me it's a good starting place as Mm. well it's if you're going from nothing and you really need that help cool Mm. do an eight-week challenge but yeah um as you were saying just have your expectations in check. Yeah. Just and I, I started out by doing a 12-week challenge. That's okay. what lit the fire for me. Yeah. But I had been training for a little while now. So like I said, I even I remember like I like loving my after photo. But now I look back in hindsight and I'm like, yeah, I, st- I had the muscle mass there. Mm. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, I was eating 1,200 calories for a little while. Yeah. So there's no wonder anyone can give you sort of a diet plan and they'll stick to it. And of course, you're going to lose the weight. That's easy. Yeah. But it's, you know, like like it's been said time and time again, it's the transformation after the transformation. And if you are just one of those people that seems to only achieve the result for a short period of time or by doing these eight-week challenges, well, maybe you need to sit down and reassess why, why you're having to come back time and time again. Beautiful. Love it. All right, moving on to the next one. Have you ever experienced injury? If so, what pushed you through it? Mm. In terms of me, along the way, I've had little niggles such as like I recently actually in my prep, I had a rib sprain, my lower back and all these things. So and they they put me out a little bit of my routine. However, obviously, my background of being an osteopath, I've got that awareness of the body with my training. I've got that awareness on how to manipulate exercise and things. But I even still felt my mind going, oh, shit, like how's this going to affect your prep? and try to start panicking. So I could only imagine someone without nearly a decade of study, like how that would Mm. affect them emotionally. And it can be quite a scary thing if you do 
get injured and you don't know. But I think my first question is, my first statement is, ask for help and get guidance if you're injured. Mm. Because it's not the end of the world. There are so many other things that you can do. And society and GPs condition us to not move when we're injured. But mm. movement is medicine. So keep Ooh, moving. I love that. It's powerful. Movement is medicine. I want it tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> it's just... Let's get tops done. Done. <laughs> done. Yeah, so just if you're unsure, don't panic, ask for help and keep moving. Yeah, 100%. In my own personal experience as well, like I've had, I used to have chronic lower back pain. And when I say chronic, I was probably having it for maybe two two years, like on and off, which is, is that a long time? Which Anything is... over a month is considered chronic. Yeah, well, there you go. And, you know, let's be honest, I'm 25. I sort of just said to myself, I am way too young to be Mm. having lower back pain. Mm. And I sort of thought this, you know, I always hear of nurses and midwives with back pain issues. And it's because of the work we do and everything. And I guess moving patients and stuff like that Mm. can be quite taxing on your body. But mine was more from technique in the gym and overtraining and imbalances and lots of things that I sort of, I knew that we're in, within my control and I knew it'd be a long process to come out of that. But yeah, lots of trial of error. It sort of just started out by, I guess, prehabbing and, and including a lot of those exercises and seeking help and guidance yeah. and proper coaching. But then through that, like my, I guess my flare ups of my lower back just spaced out more and more. And now Perfect. I'd be lucky if there's six months, whereas in the past it was weekly, like it was impacting me. So I guess... Yes, we all have injuries and niggles and things like that. And what pushes us through it is, you know, expecting more from us, like not settling for that and not Mm. just being a diagnosis of an injury. Like someone, when I first started seeking out help, I got offered to get an x-ray done. And I sort of declined that because I was like, no, like I don't want to be diagnosed and live by that. Yeah, Obviously, people wear it as an identity badge. Oh, I've got right. this. And then the chances of them getting better because they identify it's that's very right. minimal. And I was like, I don't want a limitation burdening me at the age of 22 to yeah. say that, yep, you've got a herniated disc, don't get back under the bar. And obviously if you have serious acute issues and you've done things like that. But so acute meaning it's like sore right now and inflamed yeah. and aggravated. So anything that's just kind of happened. Yeah. But if it's chronic and ongoing and you sort of think like you know what you're doing. Yeah, like I'm probably lifting a bit too much weight or like, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not bending my knees when I'm picking boxes up at the work. If you sort of know what's going on, then I think it's important to start sort of, you know, working backwards and start correcting some of that stuff first and forever realize that you will be working on these things because it's a part of life when injury and illness gets in the road. Yeah. So injury and illness is just feedback and it's all more data of something that we need to change in our lifestyle, whether it be our habits in the workplace, lifting boxes, sitting at a computer desk, whether it be the way that we're training, do we need to implement more single arm, unilateral work, uh, single limb work, and all of that. So for Sherelle, she mentioned she had lower back pain until she got guidance and, and educated herself. She started implementing prehab, so those warm up exercises beforehand, activation exercises altered her technique and changed the volume. I remember you you were squatting a lot more than what you were or mm. more sets and reps. 
change those around mm, change the variables trial and error guys trial and error yeah i suppose we're in a position where we can trial and error a little bit more just because we have got that knowledge mm. so there are people seek a healthcare professional to educate you and then you'll be able to get in that state where you can listen to your body and engage what you need to do yeah. but it's all feedback yeah but the worst thing that you can do is go oh no i can't do that i'm injured yeah. So it's the worst thing that you can do. Like, don't ever put a label on yourself. Even if a health professional does say something like that to you, it's totally fine to seek a second opinion. 100% because no one should really tell you to stop doing something. If someone comes into me and they're like, I've got pain on squats, that's the first thing that I make them do. Mm. I'm like, show me. And then you correct one th- or two small things and then the pain goes. But this person hasn't squatted for two years and it's like, it was that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I'll just quickly say a story. Like, when I first started training, I used to get like such a sore wrist. It used to get swollen and I couldn't understand what I was doing to my wrist. Mm. Uh, I thought it was from work from the drop down boxes where we put patients' notes in. Cause, um, oh, jeez. I was <laughs> Slam them shut. But Slam dunk. I would open and close them like 50, 60 times a shift. So oh, I yeah. thought, oh, repetitive injury, like use on that injury. It turned out to be the way I was actually holding my the barbell on my back with a low bar squat. Mm. But this is after like a year of seeing like a chiro and other specialists to try and, you know, correct or treat this wrist injury. It wasn't until I went and saw a strength and conditioning coach and he's like, yeah, you just really need to like take that false grip and lower the bar a bit and hunch it over a bit more and you're actually supporting the weight with that wrist. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, mm. you know, the light bulb went off and it can be something so small like that. Yeah, and the sad thing is if you had gone to a surgeon, they would have operated yep. on your wrist yep. where the problem just came from a little bit of altered mechanics and a simple change would have prevented surgery. Exactly. So I was listening to a TED talk done by a neurosurgeon a neuroscientist and the stats were quite alarming he was talking about people being prescribed surgery and he goes one of the most important questions for you to ask your surgeon is is this necessary because three mm. out of ten times they'll say no it's not actually no and then yeah. you go home yeah and that's like what, freaking that's what you've got to remember as well with orthopedics and, and private practice and stuff like that they're businesses and not dissing on that i used to work in orthopedics and we used to do a lot of laminectomies, which is back surgery. And right. I remember reading um, a study on on it once where they took one group of people who actually, and they gave them the surgery. They did the laminectomy and full recovery and everything like that. And then they took another sur- another group and they gave them like a mild sedation and a c- incision and made them think like they had the surgery as well. Oh. And they had the same results. You're kidding. Yeah, like they Far had the out. same results. Obviously, this is one study and there will be hundreds to support laminectomies or anything like that. And if you do need surgery, like I said, you know. Time and a place. Exactly. Time Mm. and a place. But also exhaust other options. I don't know how we got on this tangent, but we should probably go on to this. This will be another episode recovering. (laughs) Yeah, all of that. Cool. Next question. Thoughts on intermittent fasting and lifting. All right. Well, personally, if I don't eat before I train or do anything... I will literally be passed out. Mm. I just can't not eat, mm. to be honest. Mm. Um, I've never tried intermittent fasting. Maybe I did when I was younger and I wasn't monitoring what I was doing or thinking about when I was eating. But I personally don't think it's necessary. That's my opinion. There's a lot on this. Again, it, it goes down to your lifestyle and what you do as an occupation and, and what's going to work best for you long term. But personally... Mm, 
I still don't think it's beneficial. No. And I don't think it's beneficial. I do think it can work better for people depending on, like you said, their lifestyle, you Mm. know, whether they've got to get up and train at 6am and they're just not hungry and they can't stomach food. That's cool. Like that's, that's just part of your lifestyle. That's fine. If you can function well and train well, then that's, that's fine. I do think most women benefit from eating before they exercise regardless. Oh yeah. Mm. Because hormonally as well, women are very different for men. And you made this awesome post saying most of the studies on, was it fasting or keto? Cause I know keto for a fact, yeah. most of the studies on keto are males. Nine out of 10 studies are using male um, subjects. So, and women, we need those nutrients for our hormones, for our reproduction. We we need to be eating to function optimally. Yeah. I'm reading this book at the moment. It's called Raw by Stacey... Sims. Sims? Yeah, Sims. Legend. And she talks about this as well, like the importance of eating before you work out. And, you know, she's, she's done a lot of research in this area. She used to be an athlete herself. And, you know, I would back her over any of the other studies that I mm. sort of read just for that fact is that we aren't little men. But like I said, if you do have lifestyle factors that mean that you can't eat before you exercise, then that is, that is, that's fine. That's your life and you've got to do what you can. But, you know, maybe what if you tried eating before something small, even like Stacey recommends, just half a serve of protein, yeah. like a small half a scoop. Half a banana. Half a banana. Takes two seconds. Yeah. You know, try it. Does it, does it improve your workout? Does it not? And it will. Like... <laughs> If it you, does. If you want to be, you know, if you want to, yeah, train to your best, just eat before your damn workout. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> Stop it. This is our yeah. podcast. Like we said, <laughs> this is my show. <laughs> eat before you work out and you do have time. Mm. It's called, sorry, I'm getting triggered now, but it's called prepare your meal the night before. And if that means putting the banana on the bench or in your bag, just do it the night before or wake up 10 minutes earlier mm. and freaking grab your food yeah it doesn't take long guys and (laughs) I've got a different perspective is when I first started exercising I was more of an endurance runner like I used to run like 10 15 k's on the daily yeah that's how I started in fitness I was a runner there you go (laughs) and I'd easily get up on a Sunday run 25 k's and not eat but it's a different style of training yeah it's a different style of training so in the gym you really are utilizing the glucose in your blood whereas when you're doing endurance sort of exercises you do tend to burn more of your stored fats and things like that um over or your fat intake so it was just different and i had nowhere near amount of lean muscle as i do now whereas now i'm just famished exhausted i can't perform in the gym and i do think it comes down to body composition as well so it does come down to i guess your sport i would presume that most people you know this question was specifically directed at lifting Mm. um so when we're talking about weightlifting and strength training in the gym you know you are training to perform at your best when you're doing an endurance you're training to make it like you've got a set amount of kilometers or time or something you need you need stamina and pace well they still eat their glucose sachets and all that yeah um, while they're running yeah that's so that's still energy and even as a tennis player because i played tennis for 15 years we were still taught by our coach have a banana beforehand Mm. before you jump on the court have something Mm. in your system and when you first start doing this it probably will feel wrong like you probably will be like nah you're just not used to it. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to teach your body to tolerate carbohydrates and, and you know, utilize glucose properly during exercise and stuff like that. And even if that, like most people that say that they can't stomach it, 
if they did it for a little while, they would. Yeah. The digestive system is a creature of habit. It would just mm. learn to metabolize food at that time. Otherwise, your body is going to pull energy from your muscles. Mm, mm. So if you don't eat before you train, like you're not going to make the optimal gains that you want. Yeah, you're you not going to well perform at your best. Train. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, say that. No, that's actually... <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, eat no, before you mean. train. Eat before you train. There we go. How do I motivate my partner to go to the gym? All right, this is good for you. I don't have a partner at the moment. Oh, yeah, you don't. But, you yeah. know, you could talk about if you had one. I've got people in my life that yeah. I've tried to motivate yeah. to go to the gym. It doesn't, it doesn't have work. to be your partner. It can be friends or family. And I picked this one specifically because I actually get this a lot. And I don't know do if it you? is. Yeah, I don't know if it's because I do post Luke so much on my story and he's not into lifting weights really at all he's a very sports-based man he loves his basketball and um, football he's always played and Mm. and running and stuff so we have two very different interests when it comes to I guess exercise and fitness but so how do you motivate your partner you don't yeah I hope he doesn't listen to this, but oh, of course he's going to listen to it. He's oh, no. number one fan. He's our only listener, isn't he? And mum. Yeah, thanks mum. Shout out to mum. Yeah. But, you know, I did try to motivate Luke to do my, what I thought was the best way of training, the best way of exercising. You need to come to the gym. You need yeah. to lift with me. And that just wasn't his interest. Yeah. And I think over time I've just learned that you can't, motivate something someone to do something that you like you've got to motivate them to do something that they like so you know just don't motivate them at all no exactly they shouldn't need the motivation but encourage maybe so i'll be like you know i'm going to the gym um are you going to go for a run or anything like we would Mm. we would match it up but i never push exercise fitness nutrition diet on anyone because you just know it's your goal it it doesn't have to be everyone else's i suppose i've been through this with family and obviously being a personal trainer and in the health profession for nearly 10 years like I just wanted people to feel as good about themselves as what I would feel and then but that's my ego like oh that's also me wanting to help people but it's like who are we to try and change someone people know what to do if they ask for help cool we're entitled to offer it but technically if they're not asking for help who are we to try and change someone? Mm. And I know on Instagram, oh, a couple goals and oh my God, like people are bench pressing their partners and it's all this cute shit. Like that's not reality. No. Like imagine if someone was trying to convince me to start playing chess. It's like, well, it's not my interest. No, like, cool. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and for Luke and I, that's what makes us tick. We're so different. Like, mm. you know, but I can still come home and talk about my training and talk about competing and he listens and yeah. like, you know, that's having different interests can be a blessing as well. And, you know, if your partner was perhaps, I guess, not looking after themselves, you know, not like mentally, physically, mm. you can offer and then you leave it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You put it on the table so that they know or you just listen openly yeah. to show that you're you're willing to help with whatever yeah. struggles they might be going through. But you should never push someone to do something that they generally don't want to do because everyone knows that they should be moving their body however for a walk or something together do something fun together that you both actually want to do and that's what i'll do i'd go for a shoot with luke i'm no good at shooting but like Like basketball yeah i thought you meant shooting like oh like i don't know (laughs) i'll pretty much just be like the rebound bitch and pass the ball back but you know that's 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 showing that you're willing to do other (laughs) things with them with their interests 
Cool. And lucky last, go for it, Cheryl. Do you or have you set your own training plan or macros before? Oh, we have touched on this a couple of times. When it comes to my own macros, no, I haven't just because I've only started counting. Well, not only. I've been doing it for four years, but always under the guidance of a coach. So I'd like her to take the reins on that. In terms of have you set your own training plan? Oh, yeah, all the freaking time. And then I got someone to do it for me and help me. And then it started working. Yeah. 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 And now I'm, I know how to do it myself, but still I have a coach doing that for me. Yeah, that's what I agree. Like when I first started out, I did go through like probably a, a year or so where I did all my own training and, mm. and um, nutrition. But I like having that autonomy to be able to do what I want and follow my own training program and and then go under guidance when I want it. But now I prefer to have guidance because I accepted that I was probably, I needed further help. I needed knowledge beyond my own. So I think both is right. And I think going under guidance also empowers you to be able to do it for yourself in the future. Yeah, yeah. And at our level or any level, I suppose, if you want to do something at the optimal level, get a superior who's freaking awesome at what they do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like if you want to sell in your training, then you find someone who's really good at programming. Yeah. And for us, you know, like both Danny and I could definitely write up training programs and help people with nutrition and stuff like that. But for people that I guess are more experienced or at our level, maybe not, you know, that's why we seek out expertise. Yeah, well, we're here to take over the world. So we are, yeah, we are. We're learning, learning, picking. But I have a few mentors as well and I know that's you right. do too. That's so right. Just, yeah, yeah, and you've got to think like any high athlete, they have a team of coaches, you know, they, yeah. have, they have a whole team. So it's not about just being under one person as well. And, and, you know, when you have a coach, it's a collaboration, it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. When there's changes to your nutrition and training, it's a discussion. You know, if, if they want to sub something out, you're more than entitled to ask questions. Yeah, that's, that's going to be our theme, I think, for a lot of the topics. And it has been just seek guidance, ask questions, even a second opinion but also listen to your body too so it's a discussion yeah exactly Mm. because health and fitness is for life it's not just for the time that you're doing the eight-week program or the time that you're paying for coaching it's for life and you need to take every lesson that you can along the way beautiful Mm. i think that wraps up our q a for today it sure does so thanks so much guys for sending through all your questions um we really do appreciate all the input um we're really excited to be able to answer some of these for you so if you do have any more please shoot them over to the level up podcast instagram Instagram page slide in in our dms and we'll hopefully do a few more of these q a's coming up in the near future so yeah Thanks for tuning in, guys. And again, if you did gain anything from this episode, please do screenshot it, post it on your story, tag myself, tag Danielle, tag the Level Up podcast. Woohoo!